The following message is from Christian Life Austin. For more information about Christian Life, please visit clcaustin.com. Thank you for listening. I'm talking today on uh, the conclusion of this four-part dream uh, that we have been talking about, and we've been discussing it for four straight weeks, and uh, it is our series for the month, and it concludes today. And we're talking about the one campaign today, one, the one campaign. Can you put it on the screen there for me? The one cam, there it is. All right. The one campaign. And I believe with all my heart that God wants to use ones. He wants to use ones. You know, he doesn't send avalanches of snow. He doesn't send an avalanche. He sends snow, snowflakes one at a time. And they create and accumulate and cause an avalanche. He doesn't send buckets of rain. He sends one raindrop at a time. And that rain can cause flooding and can cause rivers to rise and lakes to overflow. But he sends one drop at a time. It's all about the one campaign. It's about what am I doing for the cause of Jesus Christ in my own life. If you look to book, the book of Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to the book of Hebrews chapter 11. All right, here we go. And what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, notice individuals, also of David, Samuel, the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms and worked righteousness and obtained promises and stopped the mouths of lions and quenched the violence of fire and escaped the edge of the sword and out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle and turned to flight the armies of the aliens." The aliens didn't come to Las Cruces. The aliens were in Hebrews. Y'all are sleepy on me this morning. Turn around and shake somebody's hand and say, I'm going to help the pastor today. God bless you. You're awesome people. I've told this story. You may be seated. I told this story several years ago. I've told it again, but some of you that have not heard it, a cowboy in New Mexico came to church one cold, snowy night. He was the only one there, so the pastor came in and sees no one except the cowboy, and he says, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dismiss tonight due to non-participation. And the cowboy stopped the preacher on his way out of the church. He said, Pastor, if one cow shows up on a snowy night, I'll feed her. The preacher, feeling bad, took his text and preached the paint off the wall to that one cowboy. And the cowboy, as the preacher was leaving, said, Preacher, if one cow shows up, I don't feed her the whole load. <laughs> so today... I'm going to be like that, that pastor. I'm going to give everybody I can the whole load today. I'm going to pour out myself to ones around this room today. I am preaching to an audience collectively, but I'm preaching to you individually today. Often we feel overwhelmed, folks, by a sense of personal insignificance. We feel like expendable commodities, sometimes completely useless, believing I am just one. And what can just one do. One prophet, Jeremiah, said, I am only a youth, and what can I alone do as a youth? Helen Keller said it so well. She said, I'm only one, but I am still one. I cannot do everything, but still I can do something. And because I cannot do everything, I will not refuse to do the something that I can do. Think of the number one, just the number one. I know the three dog night group used to sing one is the loneliest number in, all, in the world. And I know that. But one is also the beginning integer of everything that happens. 
Let me show you the power of one to the world. In 1645, one vote gave Oliver Cromwell control of England. One vote. In 1649, one vote literally cost King Charles I of England his head. He was decapitated. The vote to behead him was 67 for and 68 for and 67 against. He lost. He should have politicked a little more. 1714, one vote placed King George I on the throne of England. In 1776, one vote gave America the English language instead of the German language. President Thomas Jefferson, our third president, was elected by the House of Representatives by one vote margin. In 1845, Texas was admitted to the Union as a state by one vote. In 1846, one vote margin in the Senate approved President Polk's request for a declaration of war against Mexico. In 1850, California was admitted to the Union by a margin of one vote. In 1859, Oregon was admitted to the Union by a margin of one vote. In 1867, the Alaska Purchase was ratified by just one vote, paving the way for the eventual annexation of America's largest state in 1958, 91 years later, one vote. In 1868, one vote in the U.S. Senate saved President Andrew Johnson from impeachment. In 1875, one vote margin changed France from a monarchy to a republic. By a majority of one vote, Germany chose an ex-soldier named Adolf Hitler to become the Nazi party leader, one vote. In 1941, the Selective Service Act, the draft, was saved by one vote margin just weeks before Pearl Harbor was bombed on December the 7th. And in 1948, a Texas convention voted for Lyndon Baines Johnson over ex-governor Coke Stevens in a contested senatorial election. And Lyndon Johnson became U.S. Senator by one vote margin. That's where he got the name Landslide Lyndon. In 1962, the governors of Maine and Rhode Island and North Dakota were all elected by the margin of one vote per precinct. Don't you ever tell me that one doesn't matter. Everybody put your hand on your chest and say, I matter. I am one. I may be only one, but I matter. One sheep matters to a shepherd. One lost coin matters to a shepherd. One lost son, one man, one woman, one child does matter to the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ. One idea and invention matters. Autos, you think of Henry Ford. Phones, you think of Alexander Graham Bell. Lights, you think of Thomas Edison. Cotton gin, you think of Eli Whitney. Think of labor unions, Samuel Gompers. Think of the telegraph, Samuel Morris. I know I'm just giving you data and you're bored already. Medicine, Hippocrates, the Greek father of medicine. Computers, Bill Gates, and all these people that I just mentioned walked alone. They stood alone many times. They were laughed at. They were ridiculed. They were mocked at their inventions they were trying to procure. But who's laughing now? Their ideas, folks, were not born in a crowd. A group mind is good. Committees are wonderful. Boards are grand. But if anything gets done somewhere in that group, somewhere in that committee, someone has to stand alone and say, this is what is needed. This is the direction that we must go. And as pastor of this congregation, I feel compelled to tell you that God has laid on my heart that there's a revival coming to the city of Austin, Texas. And I want Christian Life Austin to be a part of that grand revival. And so I'm standing today by myself all alone and telling you that if God be for us, who can be against us? Come on now, let me preach to you. One determination matters to freedom. Men like William Carey going to India, 
A man like Nelson Mandela in South Africa that was in prison for 27 years battling apartheid. Desmond Tutu, Desmond Tutu, who was fighting with just the gospel. Augustine, hearing the child speak to him in North Africa, becomes a favorite in the hand of God. Martin Luther, the man that said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preach something that the Catholic Church does not stand for. And he put 95 placards on the wall of the church. And it simply said, the just shall live by faith. Martin Luther King, who several years ago, hallelujah, had a dream, and he lost his life at a young age fighting for freedom's sake. Revival, folks, is not born in a crowd. A message from God is not born in masses. I'm not even preaching to this whole crowd today. I'm trying to find as many one hearts that I can connect with and let the word find a lodging place in your individual heart. Because you see, I believe the world needs to see what God can do with one person who is fully and wholly dedicated and consecrated to him. Would you clap your hands and rejoice in that? I believe that. The one campaign. The Bible is a story about ones. God created first one man, Adam. Noah stood alone and built an ark. Abraham, one man, heard from God and left the Ur of the Chaldees looking for a city whose builder and maker was God. Jacob, one man, wrestled with an angel of God and birthed a nation. Samuel, one young man, heard from God when Eli could not became an anointer of kings in his life. Joseph went down to Egypt. One person became one man God used to preserve a nation. Moses, one man, led two and a half million Hebrews out of Egypt. One man, Andrew, found one little boy who gave his one little lunch to one man, Jesus. And Jesus fed 5,000 men plus women and children and sent them home with 12 basketfuls. One little girl in 2 Kings chapter 5 gave her testimony and healed the commander of an army named Naaman. One woman's courage saved a nation. Her name was Esther. And Jesus Christ in his aloneness affected one person at a time so many times. He met a woman at a well one day. He talked to a beggar one day. He healed a leper one day. He was a God that touched one person again and again and again. He made a paralytic man in a house of Capernaum stand up and walk out of that house because four men let him down. He is a God that is available for one person in this house today because he is alone August in our life and he loves us individually. John 3:16 said for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. I love that scripture, but I love Galatians 2 and 20 even better when Paul said God or Jesus gave himself for me and died for me. I like the personal Jesus. I know he died for the whole world and sometimes we can get lost in that whole world syndrome. But when you read Galatians and realize that a man, one man who turned the church world upside down two times, one by persecution, the other by preaching the gospel and writing half the New Testament, he said he died for me. And somebody in this house has got to get a concept of that, that I'm not just among a group of people here today. I'm not just here jealous of somebody else's relationship. I've got a relationship with Jesus myself and I am a part of the kingdom of God today. You're going to let me preach today? You're going to let me warm up today? I feel the Holy Ghost in this house right now. Amen. It's amazing. It's amazing. It's amazing. I, I, I found this in my study. There were two men that lived in New York City several years ago. One of them's name was Max Jukes. He was an atheist. He never gave his kids any Christian training. 
He refused to take his kids to church even when they asked to attend. He had 1,026 descendants, 300 of whom were sent to prison for an average term of 13 years. 190 were public prostitutes and 680 were admitted alcoholics. And his family back a long time ago cost the city of, a state of New York in excess of $420,000 to take care of their needs. On the other hand, there was a man in New York named Jonathan Edwards who was a preacher of the gospel. And he lived in the same state at the same time. And he loved the Lord and saw his children were in church every weekend. One man, one man. He served the Lord to the best of his ability. Of his 929 descendants, 430 were were ministers. 86 became university pres- professors. 13 became university presidents. 75 wrote positive books. Seven were elected to the U.S. Congress and one served as vice president of the United States. The family never cost the state one cent but contributed immeasurably to the common good. You don't, don't you ever tell me that one person cannot change the tide of everything. Do I have some dads in the house that would like to get with me today and say, Pastor, I want to be that one man? Do I have some mothers in the house that would like to get with me? me today and say, I want to be that mom. I'm not, I'm not just talking about complete family. I'm talking about single dads and single moms. I'm talking about people, ones, 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 all through this house. God wants to take one and give you a campaign of righteousness in your heart and in your life. He's a God of ones. He's a God of ones. In fact, Ben Franklin wrote it this way. He said, for the want of a nail, a shoe was lost. For want of a shoe, a horse was lost. For one of a horse, the rider was lost. And for one of a rider, the battle was lost. And for one of the battle, the kingdom was lost. All for the want of one horseshoe nail. One, one. This church, this city, this nation, this world needs a one campaign. A one campaign. Do I have what it takes to go find somebody that needs the Jesus that I preach about on Sunday? Do I, as a Christian saint in this church, have what it takes to go become friends with somebody and not let them overwhelm me with their personality, but me bring them to Jesus with my personality? Do I have an Andrew spirit that can find my brother and bring him to Christ? And see my brother become the preacher at Pentecost when 120 were filled with the Holy Spirit. And 3,000 later and 5,000 later, do I have what it takes to go and find that one person that might revolutionize everything that ever happened in my life? I promise you, and I know it's not easy preaching, but I promise you, soul winning is the greatest ministry you could ever have. It's not the ministry of singing. It's not the ministry of just teaching kids. It's taking what you have and winning people to the Lord Jesus Christ. Clap your hands and say, I buy that, Pastor. I believe that. Now let me preach here a little bit. Paul spoke in Romans 5, 12, and 15. Therefore, just as through one man, everybody say one man, sin entered the world, not 10 men, not 20 men, but one man, sin entered the world and death through sin. And thus death spread to all men because all sinned. Can I stop and tell you that the violence that we had to put up with in Kuwait, in Iraq, in Afghanistan was not because those people were evil by themselves, because of one man. One man sinned. And because of that sin, 
we're, we're still battling that sin today because of one man. Everybody say one person. His name was Adam. And he sinned in the garden of Eden. One man. One man sinned. Because we see violence on our streets. We see murders. We understand robberies. We see that things are happening. We see parents abusing children and children abusing parents. And we see bullying in school. And we see all the things that are happening and guns are exploding around the world. And people are just having drive-bys just for the fun of it. It's all because of one man. One man. One man. Adam sinned. But I'm glad to know that there's another part of this scripture. For if by one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. I'd like to tell you that sin and death will not reign forever. I'd like to tell you that when people meet the Jesus that I preach about, because one man's death and one man's burial and one man's resurrection, we have hope here today. There's grace in this house today. There's peace in this place today. There's salvation in this house today. There's healing in this house today. There's fixing for people in this house today because one man said, I will die for the sins of the world. Can somebody get a hold of that one concept? We need people to say, I may be only one, but I am one. And I can make a difference in society where I live today. All the armies that's ever marched and all the navies that's ever built and all the parliaments that ever set and all the kings that ever reigned put together have not affected the life of man upon this earth as powerfully as has that one solitary life. So, it's decision time in this world. It's decision time in this church. We have preached to you for three solid weeks and now on this fourth week, it's decision time. It's time to make a choice. Am I just going to follow and just watch everybody else make this dream happen? Or am I going to stand up and I'm going to be accounted for and I'm going to be a part of and I'm going to put my hands to the plow and I'm going to give of my time and my talents and my treasure and I'm going to see that this church becomes the greatest church in the end time that could ever be established. It's not going to be just a pastor preaching to me. I'm going to take that gospel and take it to other people that need the same gospel that I've heard in my life. Because I may be only one, but I am one. I am one. I am one. In the book of Ezra, there's a beautiful story that I want to relate to you. It's called, it's about the 13th man. And what it was is when the law was read there in those times, there were 12 tribes. And the 12 tribes had leaders that, that spoke to their tribes. And when the, when the man of God spoke, those tribes spoke the same thing to their, those leaders of the tribe spoke the same, same thing to their tribe because they had no PA system. They didn't, have, they didn't have things to put in your ear to shut out the sound. They had to do this to hear what they were saying because they were just hollering and screaming. But there was what was known as the 13th man. Mm. And the 13th man was a man that really didn't have an order. He really wasn't collect, connected with any clique, anything, any tribe. He was just one of those grafted in kids. 
is one of those people that just wanted to be there because he knew God was there. And he would stand at the very parameter of all those tribes. And when he heard the voice of a tribe closest to him speaking the gospel or speaking what they were hearing from the leader, Moses, he would open his mouth and he would tell everybody that wasn't a part of their somebodies the gospel and the word that was being preached by the leader back there uh, called Moses. Here's what I want to tell you. We need some people that don't care about cliques, that don't care about the order, that don't care if they're just singing or they're teaching or they're, or they're, or they're or ushering. We just need people that'll stand out here on the parameter somewhere and say, I heard something good at church today. And I'm the 13th man. And I'm going to declare this gospel. I'm going to declare Jesus is alive. And I'm going to tell you he's still the answer for everybody in this world today. That's deep, Reed. I love Reed. Reed loves to go deep. He didn't never heard that story in his life. I just thought I'd share that with Reed today. We need some 13th men in this church. We need some people that's not worried about what group I'm in, what coffee shop I go to. We need somebody interested in telling somebody that Jesus loves them. Hallelujah. Come on now, clap your hands real big. A preacher told me one time he couldn't get excited. He could get excited in a crowd, but not one-on-one. Really? Really? If you, can't, if you can only get anointed in a crowd, you need to check out where that anointing's coming from. You don't need a crowd to worship. You don't need a crowd to sing. You don't need a crowd to pray. Inspiration may miss, but the anointing never is wasted. It never misses. I'm telling you, you can be driving down the road and start singing a song to Jesus. Why don't you just have some one church every now and then? Just get tied into Jesus. Amen. It's not just about here, it's about at your home, it's about at your office. Just get plugged in. Lord Jesus, I'm preaching today. I want to assure you today that one man, one woman with one God can accomplish so much. Say amen to that. Years ago, they made a movie out of this. There was a a University of Southern Cal professor that taught a philosophy class. And in his philosophy class, all he tried to do was to, to prove that there was no God. And he'd take three to 400 students in that class and he'd have them a whole semester and he would prove that there was no God again and again. And, and at the end of it, he always threw this out. He said, is there any fool in the building that would like to stand and believe that there is still a God? And for 20 years, nobody ever challenged him. But one day, a freshman came. That was a red hot kid from a red hot church. And he went in there and he had to take that course because it was part of his graduation plan. And so he, he took that whole semester and he listened to that professor say that there is no God. There is no God. There was no God. And so the last of the last day, he said, is there any fool in here that would like to stand and say there is a God? And a young man stood up. The freshman said, sir, I'd like to declare that I believe in God. And I believe that Jesus Christ died for my sins. And the professor said, you fool. And what he normally did, he would say, you know what? If there is a God, then he can stop this chalk from hitting the floor and break into a million pieces. And he'd drop that chalk and that chalk would just scatter. But that day, 
because one man, one kid, one freshman stood up. <laughs> I, would, I would love to say that was my boy. But he stood up and said, no, there is a God. And Jesus died for my sins. He said, son, if there is a God, then he'll have to stop this chalk from breaking into a hundred pieces when I drop it. But when he dropped it that day, it hit his cuff. He had a, 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 French, cu- a, a French cuff on it and it hit his cuff and made that chalk bounce against his pleated trousers. And it went down his leg and went into his, his cuff here and rolled off his foot and just rolled on the floor just easy as it could be. Listen, listen. The professor turned and walked out of the room embarrassed and the young freshman came down and for the next 30 minutes shared his faith and many people were brought to Christ. Here's what I want to tell you. Sometimes you just think I am only one, but you are one. You are one. And the Lord loves ones and he cares about ones and it's a campaign of ones. Let's get our one together with his and let's have revival in this church until Jesus comes for one church. Hallelujah. 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 I have a a dear friend of mine that used to come to this church when he would come to town. He would drive all the way from Georgetown to be here in church with us. He lives in another city. And he came up to me one day and he said, Pastor, I was in a, a health club the other day and I saw this physician get into the whirlpool and said he was having such a hard time, had to be helped into the whirlpool. And he said, I said to myself, you know, he's a physician, but he needs to be healed. And he said, I went over to him and I said, sir, I believe in healing. Can I pray for you? And he said, you know what? I didn't have anybody singing behind me. Nobody was saying, hallelujah. Nobody was doing that. (laughs) But he said, I went over to him and he said, sure, son, you can pray for me. Said he must've thought I had something together. And said, I put my hands on his hands and I said, God, need to heal this physician so he can heal many people. And he said, he stood up in the whirlpool. He stood up in that sauna. And he said, I've never been able to do this in my life. And he said, get out of my way. I think I'm coming out of here. <laughs> and he walked out of that sauna. And when he got out of that sauna, of course, we had to put a towel around him. You understand that. <laughs> but when he got out of that sauna... He started dancing on those legs that took help to get him in there. But because one man believed that God could heal one person, he was healed and walked out of that place. I'm telling you, you may be only one, but you're still one. Come on, rejoice with me today. Rejoice with me today. There is power in one. John Wesley wrote 20 miles a day for 40 years, preached over 40,000 sermons, wrote 400 books. His impact An English nobleman was traveling through the countryside and stopped and asked a peasant one day, what is it that I can't find a place where I can buy a drink of liquor in this wretched village? And the peasant replied, well, you see, my Lord, about a hundred years ago, a man named John Wesley came preaching in these parts. The rest is history. One man, one man. In 1857, Jeremy Lanthier wanted prayer in New York City. And so in 1857, he started a prayer meeting on Wall Street in a room. He put up 20 chairs, and nobody showed up that day, but he prayed anyhow. The next day, three people showed up, and they told people about the prayer meeting. The next day, it was full, and the next week, they had to put out chairs. And it spread to other parts of the city. 
1857, a prayer meeting happened because one man said, I want somebody to help me pray in this hour. Everybody say, I'm only one, one. but I am one. one. Dr. John Getty, a Presbyterian missionary, went to Antinatium, an island in the South Pacific in 1848, and worked there for God for 24 years. On the tablet erected erected to his memory, these words are inscribed. When he landed in 1848, there were no Christians. When he left in 1872, there was no heathens. One man. One man. So I close today. Randy, if you'll help me, I close today. The reason I close is because I have to. (laughs) Not because I want to. Somebody asked me one time, if there was a one moment, a one moment in this church's existence that turned this church and caused it to turn a corner, what would that moment be? And that was a tough question for about five minutes, and it hit me. It hit me. Because when I came to this city, I came to build a revival church. I wanted a revival church. Is that all right to say that? I wanted a church that had attraction that people could come and feel the presence of God and feel the anointing of the Holy Ghost. Feel the power of healing and the power of salvation to touch their life. Not just a decision, but a power that drew them to the altar. And into our church on that side when we had the little A-frame building, many of you folks that were in the church then probably remember this story. I think it was the thing that turned the church's corner for us. A call girl from New York City, six foot, two inch black girl, one of the most beautiful ladies that ever walked in our church, came in. And she let me in no uncertain terms know why she was here. She was here because her grandmother was a a praying woman, one, one. And she had married one of her, one of her tricks up there, one of her, her, her lovers. And he was a sitcom writer and he was a, a big man in television and but he also was a drug dealer. And they were on the lam from the FBI and they were running and they were hiding in places all around America. So we knew we wouldn't have her long. But while she was here, while she was here, she became involved in a little church that wanted revival. And one day we had a, a Delta pilot, one of my dear friends that was a lay minister come and minister And he walked back to her and he said, I want to congratulate you. She said, for what? He said, for being baptized in water. She said, I've never been baptized. He said, oh, but you will. That's what she needed. So I remember the day that I baptized her. And then she asked me, she said, could you come to my house? My husband's away on business and said, can you bring some staff members out to my house? I was sure to bring staff members. you've been listening you understand (laughs) she was a pretty woman so we went out there and she had all this she had all these idols at her house and she said can you break these up we took baseball bats we broke up idols I hit home runs a lot that day it was the most amazing thing And when we got through, we prayed on her front porch. And she said, I feel free today. I feel free from the pain 
of my past. She came to church, kept coming. We had Sunday night service then. She came to a Sunday night, and I'll never forget what I preached. I preached, he that the Son hath made free is free indeed. And I didn't know what that indeed meant because I'm not a Greek and Hebrew scholar. I've done a little study now, but I wasn't then. So I just said that indeed meant yes. He that the Son has made free is free indeed. Yes! And I, I preached on the word yes. And I went down. I used to preach in the aisles, and I went down. <laughs> Some of you folks would say, God, he's, he lost his mind back then. I used to preach in the aisles, and I went down. She's on the fourth row in the little building. And she stepped out in the aisle when I said, does anybody here want to be filled with the Spirit? She said, I do. And I thought, oh, God. About 50, 60 people were sitting there, kind of like you are, with not saying anything, looking at me like, where's he going? <laughs> and I'll never forget, I said, when I lay hands on you, you're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Ghost is going to come on you. And she raised her hands, and before I laid hands on her, I said, I said, you have anything you'd like to say? She said, yes. She said, I'm the worst that's ever been. If he can feel me, he can feel anybody. And I said, I'm going to introduce to you somebody that's better than your worst. He's fixing to feel you to overflowing with the Holy Ghost. When I laid hands on her head, she received the Holy Ghost right now. And I'd like to tell you, it may be foreign to some, but she started dancing. She started twirling. She started throwing her arms out. She was getting the Spirit of God in her from the top of her head to the sole of her feet. And somebody came up to me after it was over and said, you think that was real? I said, about as real as I think yours is. That's your decision. That's not mine. That's your decision. She didn't stay long after that, but we, she left here baptized and filled with the Holy Ghost. And for two years, for two years, we got flowers every Sunday from New York City. Sent to us from New York City every Sunday, we got flowers saying, thank you for turning my life around. And from that miracle, that small church next door believed that this church could be the revival church. A one church, a revival church that could absolutely impact Austin, Texas. And we're still doing it today in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because the Holy Ghost still is here. The power of Jesus is still in this house. His name is still exalted in this house. I got to quit. So, one. Everybody say one. one. Say, I'm only one, Pastor. But I am one. I will be that 13th man. I will not worry about whom I'm connected with. I'll worry about who I'm connected to. Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior. Would you stand?